As, um, as Michael's mentioned, we're going into a series looking at Philippians from next week. And I just want, I'm going to spend um, today just looking at one verse from Philippians that I think is going to help us get our heads around what Philippians is about um, and also just help us think as we, we start a new year uh, about what do we want this year to look like. By new year, I mean new academic year, which is how I still function and lots of people I reckon still, broadly speaking, function. Um, so if you want to get Philippians 1 open, that'd be helpful. It's on page 1178 or uh, in the Bibles in front of you. Um, just while you're, while you're looking that up, let me just um, add my kind of a little bit about CAP. Um, so Michelle's done her bit, Michael's done his bit. Let me, let me do my little um, bit about CAP. Um, one of the things that really excites me about CAP is that I am utterly convinced that every Christian should be involved in caring for the vulnerable and disadvantaged within society. I think every Christian should be involved in that because it was just at, at the heart of what Jesus was about. When Jesus was on earth, they were the people he gravitated to. They were the people that he specifically uh, met with, cared for. They were the people that his heart went out to. And I just think every Christian should be involved in that. And the problem I always have is, I just don't know how to do it well. Like, I don't know what I can do that will actually make an impact, given the complicated nature of people's lives. And so one of the things I love about CAP is it, it gives you a way of going, look, this is a thing you can do. And it's been done in many, many places before, and it has made a difference. So, so why not get involved in that? So for me, you know, once I hear, hey, this is an opportunity for you, that you could be a befriender, you could be involved in that, I jump at that because I want to do it, and I spend so much of my life not doing it very well because I don't know how to do it very well. So the, the idea of some structure to help me do that, I find uh, amazingly exciting. So I just want to lay it out for you guys. It, it may not be being a befriender with CAP, that does it for you, but if it's not going to be that, my, my question for you is, what, how are you going to be involved in caring for the marginalised, vulnerable within society? If it's not going to be this, if it's not going to be befriending within CAP, fine, it doesn't have to be that, but how are you going to do it then? Like, What is it going to look like for you in your life to get involved in that as a Christian? Um, so I'd encourage you, uh, that meeting on the 19th, um, that's for anyone. If you're already a befriender, come along. We're going to be chatting a bit about what that looks like. If, you're, if you've never even thought about it before, then come along, find out more. Uh, we'd love to have you there. I just think it's a great opportunity for us to grow in the kind of lives that Jesus uh, wants us to live uh, in following him. So there you go. There's, there's my bit on cap. I've been, um, I found myself over the past few weeks um, watching what I would consider to be like actual TV, by which I mean like rubbish, um, and the, the particular flavour of rubbish that I've found myself watching over the last week has been um, Freddie Flintoff's Field of Dreams. Now, there's only three episodes of it, and I see a lot of shaking heads, so I can see it's a version of rubbish that not many other people have found themselves watching. So, so let me explain what, what this particular uh, version of TV is. So, Freddie Flintoff, for those of you who don't know, is an England cricketer. He was incredibly successful, incredibly famous. Well, or so, so it would seem to me. But he decides he's going to go to Preston, to a council estate on Preston, which is where he grew up, and he's going to try and form a cricket team made up of like 15 to 
sort of 18, 19-year-olds within this council estate in Preston. So he turns up on this council estate with all these kids around, and nobody has heard of him at all. Uh, and he asks them, can you name a cricket player? None of them can name a single cricket player. Have you ever played cricket? No, I've never played cricket. Would you, do you want to play cricket? No, I don't want to play cricket. So it, like, this, is, this is him. He's in Preston. He's on this like, green. He's like, right, come on, let's, let's give it a go. So he gets out, he gets out his stuff. And, and, and he starts doing it, and you just have all these clips of these lads like just sat on walls afterwards, and they're like looking up on Wikipedia who he is, and they're just like, I've just never heard of him. Um, just like this, it's, it's kind of glorious. And so, so he sets up this cricket team, and it's this like random group of lads from like loads of different backgrounds um, who kind of, some of them have been excluded from schools, some of them are still in school, some of them are like a bit older than that and have, um, one of the lads has been uh, homeless for a little while been sleeping rough just got himself in his, his uh, thing so he's got this like random group of people and he throws them together and he's like right I'm going to make this cricket team out of these people uh, and, and he does it and it's three episodes and you just watch him doing it and it's everything you'd expect from that kind of rubbish TV you know it's like they're not really bad I'm like I'm pretty sure they are um, but anyway and it just, it just goes on like that uh, and, and there's it basically as it goes on there's these few there's these few lads that turn up they're just not that interested in playing. They just want to mess around. They just want to cause trouble over and over again. And, and in, in the, I think it's the third episode, he, he goes to one of these lads called Sean and he sits down with him and he's like, look, like, why don't you just like get involved? Like, why don't you just join in what we're doing? Like, why do you just come and like cause like such trouble? And, and, uh, and Sean like looks at him. Sean's like classic sort of troublesome kid who's like always got a twinkle in his eye and always got an answer to everything. He's like, oh yeah, but you love it really, don't you, Freddie? And he's like, no, no, I don't. He's like, if you're under an illusion that I somehow really enjoy you coming and messing around all through these sessions, you can get that out of your head. He says, look, I just want an easy life. Like, I don't want to come and have to manage you. I just want an easy life. Uh, and as I was watching that, and as I, as I heard him say that, it got me thinking, does he really want an easy life. Like, is that really what Freddie Flintoff wants from his life? Now, I've just come back from a week's camping, and I know what it is to want an easy life. I know what it is to want a bed to sleep in, and not to have to put a tent up, and not to have to put a tent down. Like, I understand the appeal of an easy life. But is it actually the kind of life we really want? Is it what Freddie Flintoff really wants? Because I kind of think, if Freddie Flintoff wanted an easy life, would he have ever become a professional sportsman? Like, is that how it works? I don't know, maybe it does, but from what I can gather, most professional sports people have to put in a whole load of graft first to get to that point. And yet, then afterwards, you look at their life and think, that looks like an easy life. But there's a whole load of graft before that that, that gets you to that point, and, and as you go through it. Would he, would he have gone back to Preston to a council estate to set up a cricket team if all he wanted was an easy life? My guess is he's probably got enough money. There's probably easier things you could do with your time that, than go and do that. And so I want you this afternoon, every one of you, I want you to imagine that you were starting this year today, like 4th of September, academic year, starting with a blank piece of paper, right? Nothing, nothing on it, blank piece of paper, what would you want your life to look like? Imagine, you didn't, you, didn't, you, you didn't have anything planned. You had nothing there. You can completely redesign your life. What would you want it to look like? 
What would you be putting on that blank piece of paper if you were going to design your life? I basically want us to spend half an hour just thinking about that question. What do you want your life to look like? What kind of life do you want? What would you want to achieve this year? This year is, uh, well, this week, right now, it is, is seven years since a few of us got together in Stranton Hall and met and did something a bit like this for the first time and called it Grace Church Hartlepool. Seven years this, this week it is since, since Grace Church Hartlepool launched. And the question I've got myself thinking about is, what do I want, what do I want year eight to look like? What is it we want? Not, so not just individually, what is it you want to achieve this year? What is it you want from your life this year? What is it we want? What do we want year eight of Grace Church to, to look like? Now, now, in thinking about this, I've always found Paul's words from Philippians 1 to be just so helpful. I come back here over and over again. Let, let me read them to you. I'm going to start from verse 12. I'm going to read down to verse 26. But I'm going to basically talk about 21 and 22. So let me read this to you. Philippians 1, verse 12 down to 26. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become more confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or truth, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. If you've zoned out, zone back in here. These two verses, this is where we're going to be this afternoon. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body, convinced of this. I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Now we're going to look through that passage in detail in a couple of weeks. So, so come back for that. I'm going to try my hardest this week not to steal all the thunder of whoever's going to be preaching that in two weeks. Because that, that, that would be sad times. I just want to talk about basically those two verses. To me... To live is Christ, to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Those words, I think, are incredibly helpful. If you have a blank piece of paper, if you've still got that in your head, what do I want this year to look like? Those words will help you. Because Paul, when he's writing this, he finds himself in a prison cell, probably in Rome. So he's, he's locked up in this prison cell in Rome. And... 
he is not only unsure about what the rest of his life is going to look like, not only does he have a blank piece of paper, he's unsure how long that piece of paper is. Because he doesn't know if when he goes out of that cell, it will be for trial, it will be for execution, or it will be to freedom. He doesn't know. For all he knows, that room might be the last room he sees in his life. Now, how do you cope with that level of uncertainty? I mean, I, I find it hard to deal with uncertainty in my life. I find it hard to deal with just little bits of uncertainty, like, is my roof still leaking or not? Or, uh, or am I still going to have a job next month or the month after? Or, I don't know, how am I going to afford the energy price hike or whatever? Little bits of uncertainty unsettle me. How do you cope with being in a situation where you don't even know if you've got one week left to live? or a month left to live, or a year, or ten years, where you don't know if you'll ever have a life outside of the cell that you are in at that time. That is where Paul is at this point. But notice, Paul doesn't sink into despair. It'd be so easy to just sink into despair, to just feel completely paralyzed by the situation, unsure what to do. He doesn't give up. No, he recognizes that in Christ... He has life now, so for me to live is Christ. He has, he has Christ now, and he has an even more glorious life to come. To die is gain. If he lives, he gets to live for Christ, to know his presence with him. And if he dies, he gets to go and be with Christ, physically. And then what he does is he allows that truth, my life now is for Christ, my future is with Christ. He allows that truth to shape the, what he wants to do with his life. I've been thinking about this a lot recently. That is the Christian life. The Christian life is knowing the truths of the gospel and then living accordingly. It's pretty much that simple. What is the truth of the gospel? So how do I now live? That's the Christian life. How does the fact that I have Christ with me now and that when I die, I go with to be with him. How does that impact how I live right now? How I live tomorrow? How I live the day after? That's the Christian life. And I love the way Paul describes what it looks like. This is what he says his life looks like. Two words. Two words I come back to again and again. Fruitful labor. Fruitful labor. That's what Paul says his life is going to look like. For as long as he draws breath, he wants his life to look like fruitful labor. This is where we're going today. I'm going to give you two ways to live. Two ways to live. Easy life, fruitful labor. That, that's it. Now, you might have come up with something else on your blank piece of paper, but I'm just going to talk about those two ways. What do you want from your life? Do you want easy life or do you want fruitful labor? Like that, that's the question I want you to ask yourself. That's what I want us to think about th this afternoon. Because it is a choice. You actually can't have both. Because they are definitionally complete opposites. If you're going to labor, it's not always going to be easy. If you were to look up the word labor in a dictionary, which I did, then you will see that labor means hard work or great effort. 
I mean, it's literally the opposite of an easy life. That's what the word labor means. It doesn't come easy. It's hard. It doesn't just happen. It requires effort. So what kind of life do you want to live? Do you want easy life? Do you want fruitful labor? And of course, it's a slightly tricky question to answer because we need both. We need both. We can't just keep on laboring. Labor without rest is unsustainable because we're created limited. We get tired and we need to rest. Of course we do. But it's easy to get the balance wrong and think that what we really want is a life without any labor. On your blank piece of paper, it's easy to fill it with the easy life. A life without labor. But that, Paul says, that's not the life that we want to live. It's equally unhelpful for you. Have you ever had one of those days where you just did nothing? You just, you just did nothing. Let, let me give it, I don't know what it might look like for you, a day of doing nothing, but it, it might look something like this. You get up, you get up late. You get up late. You, you have a, a late, leisurely breakfast come lunch, you know, you're not quite sure, but some meal that, that comes at that sort of late morning kind of time. You, you pot around the house a bit, and then you do whatever version of nothing you prefer. But often when I ask people, are like, what have you done today? And they say to me, oh, well, nothing. My question is always, well, what version of nothing did you do? Because none of us are just sit, sat there just like vacantly. Like, I understand what we mean, but what version of nothing? So I don't know what version of nothing you prefer, but you know, maybe it was playing a computer game. Maybe it was watching 20 back-to-back episodes of Friends. Maybe it was like reading a book. Maybe it was, I don't know, scrolling through Twitter or Instagram or all of those other things that I don't really know. You know, whatever it is. You spend your day doing a bit of that. Then you have some tea. Then you have a bath. And somehow you still managed to go to bed later than you had intended, despite the fact you have done absolutely nothing of any consequence all through the day. You ever had a day like that? Some people are shaking their heads, which is, is, is interesting. Um, uh, I, I have had days like that. In fact, my uni life was back-to-back days like that. Um, but those days, those days can feel great. They can. They, they can just about feel great. But they often don't. They often feel a bit empty and dissatisfying. You often get to the end of the day and you think, considering that all I've done today is exactly what I felt like doing at every second, it didn't, I still didn't have that great a time. You can get to the end of them and feel like, You should have enjoyed it more. And that's just one day of it. Imagine a second day of that, and a third day, and a fourth day, and a fifth day. Imagine a week or a month of that. Would that be the kind of life you want to live? I ask the question because I genuinely think it is what what many of us in our minds hold up as, oh man, I'd just love to get to that point. I'd love to get to the point where I got up in the morning, I didn't have anything I had to do. We have this kind of vision of it. But really, is that what we want? Do we want that easy life? My guess is that most of us know the difference between a life with a balance of work and rest 
and a life where we just do the easiest thing every time. It's always easier to do nothing than to do something, whatever that something is. However much you might enjoy that something, it's always easier to not do it than to do it. But we recognise that doing things often leads to a more fulfilling life than doing nothing. Most of us understand that there's a difference between the enjoyment we find from working all day and sitting down to watch a couple of episodes of something at the end of a busy day and the enjoyment we find from binge-watching 20 straight episodes of something. Most of us understand there's a difference between those two things. Paul looked at his life and he recognised that the life he wanted to live involved labour, effort, hard work. You see, the nature of sin is always to over-promise and under-deliver. And in no area is that more true than in, in sin's call to laziness. Laziness is one of the great temptations that's put in front of us that over-promises and under-delivers time and time again. It sounds so appealing. It looks like it would be so fun, so liberating. It would be so relaxing. It would be so life-giving. But the reality of it is, it's boring and exhausting and debilitating. So what do you want your life to be like? Are you going to pursue an easy life simply following the path of least resistance Or are you going to work hard for something? Are you going to work hard for something in your life? And and how about for us as a church? How about for us as Grace Church? What do we want our life as a church to look like? Are we simply going to drift along, avoiding anything which might seem like hard work? Or are we going to work hard to strive for something worthwhile? You have to decide. What sort of life is it that you want? But the problem is that all too often, labor doesn't feel that great either. So we look at these like, and we think, oh, yeah, it seems so good, and I get it, it doesn't really satisfy. But you're not telling me that all my hard work feels so great, because often my hard work feels rubbish too. Maybe an easy life doesn't give us the life that we want, but the solution can't simply be, let's just make our life a bit harder for the sake of it. No particular benefit in doing things simply to make our life a bit harder. As, as some of you will know, when I was, I don't know, in my 20s, I, um, I owned an old Saab 96, which was like my, my pride and joy. If you don't know what a Saab 96 looks like, just imagine the best car ever, and it looks like that. Um, uh, so I owned this car, and it was absolutely brilliant. I was, like, I was in my 20s, and I was, I was absolutely... like. I was absolutely useless at anything mechanical, and I continue to be absolutely useless at anything mechanical. So I don't know what ever possessed me to buy an old classic car, other than that it looked great and it was quite cheap. So I was like, great, let's get this. So, so I bought it, and, and I got with it an old like Haynes manual of like that you could like get. So I got my old Haynes manual, and I was like, look, I'm in my 20s. I'm like relatively intelligent, in my own opinion. Um, so like surely with a manual and a car, I can work out how to like keep this, this car ticking over. Now, the Saab was great, but it had like a few quirks. And one of the quirks was the handbrake didn't really work. Um, uh, 
Now, so you had to pull it up really far just to like get it to like grab at all. And even then, if it was on a slope, it was like 50-50, is it going to stay or is it not? So you're always slightly nervous that we wasn't going to come back and find my car in the same place. So I thought, right, I'm going to test out my new mechanical like ambitions. Something simple, I'm going to tighten the handbrake cam cable. So I got, I got the Haynes manual and I, I opened it up to the like handbrake repair page and I read it and I'm like right so you've got to like put it up on some ramps still not entirely sure why I had to do that but I did um so so I did that and then then there was like this cable and you just had to turn this thing to like tighten up the cable to make it work I was like that seems like really straightforward like like I understand what it is you've got to do I understand what I'm trying to do surely I can do that so so I got that and the problem was that the bit you had to turn was in like a really inconvenient like place. I think they put them there like on purpose just to annoy people. So they put it in like a place you could basically not really get to with like the spanner or whatever it was that I needed to turn it with. So all I could do was like turn it a tiny bit at a time each time and I had to take it off, put it back on, do that. So so I'm there, and because I'm not very good, it takes me like hours of just like there with this span. It's like turn it a little bit, take it off, put it on, turn it a little bit, take it off, put it on. And I do, I do this for ages. And I'm looking, I'm like, I'm not sure it's getting any better, this. Um, and you're probably a lot of steps ahead of me. But it turned out I was turning it the wrong direction. Um, uh, so so I, 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 actually, I actually managed to, in my hours of work, make the handbrake not work at all. Um, that, that, was, that, was my, that was the fruit of my labor. Now, you see, that's the problem, isn't it, with so much labor? Because at the end of that process, I don't just feel like so wonderful. It's like, oh man, I've just done like three hours hard work, really, really earned whatever I'm going to get this evening. No, you just feel a bit rubbish. I feel frustrated and annoyed. Why? Well, because it was labor, but it wasn't fruitful labor. You see, that's what we want. We want fruitful labor. We want labor that does something, that achieves something. I'd worked hard for nothing. Now that's, that's crucial. You've got to understand this. When Paul says he wants to labor, he doesn't just say he wants to labor, he says he wants to do fruitful labor. You could work very hard. You could labor just like Paul did. When you read about Paul's life, man, that, that, it seemed like he could labor hard. You know, working jobs while traveling around, planting churches, being thrown in prison, being beaten. Now, he could work hard. You could work as hard as him. You could even work harder but that will not feel satisfying. It will not be the kind of life that any of us want if it doesn't bear fruit, if it doesn't achieve anything. This happens to people all the time. They plug 40 years into a career. They work hard at it. They graft away. And at the end of it, they look back at it and they can't work out why they did. They look back at it and they, they look at the money they earned and they wonder, where has it all gone? Or... Was it really worth it? Or they look at the work they actually did, the things they achieved, and they think, did actually my job make any difference to that organization or to those people or to the world? You look back at it, you've worked hard, you've slogged away, and it's made no difference. No, the life Paul says he wants is not an easy one, but it's also not simply a life of labor. Paul wants a life of fruitful labor. It's a life where he works hard, to achieve something. Now, here's, here's what I want to suggest. And you can, you can go away from this and you can tell me if I'm wrong. I want to suggest that that is the life that you want. 
You don't mind working hard. In fact, you were created to work hard. You want to work hard. You find joy in working hard. But you want to work hard at something that matters. Something that makes a difference. Something that means something. Something that bears some fruit. There's nothing worse than being at work and someone asking you to do something that you know is entirely pointless. You know, when someone comes to you and they're like, will you write this report? And you're like, I will, but no one will ever read it. You're at work and like, oh, will you unpack this box? And you're like, I will, but I know that that person's just going to come half an hour later and they're going to rearrange everything that I've just done. You're at work and someone says, oh, will you go and have a conversation with this person? You're like, I will, but I've had that conversation a million times and I don't think the million and first is going to be the one that makes a difference. You know, there's nothing worse than being at work and someone asking you to do something that you know is entirely pointless. Now, we want to work hard to achieve something worthwhile. We want to pour our energies into things that matter, that bear fruit. And the question is, what is that? What is the fruit that matters? What is it that we can pour our life into, that we can pour our energies into, and go, yes, this bears fruit, yes, this matters? What is it that Paul wants to achieve? What is the fruit that he wants his labor to work at? Well, the Bible talks about fruit in a variety of different ways. Well, one of the ways it talks about fruit is fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, we're told, in fact, Paul himself writes this in one of his other letters, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, faith, self-control. That's the, that's the fruit of the Spirit. Wouldn't we love our hard work to bear that fruit? As a result of our, our efforts and our pouring ourselves into it, wouldn't we love it for us to grow into people who are patient and kind and gentle, who have self-control, who are able to know and enjoy God, to love him, to love the people he's made us to? Y- yeah, that would be great. That would be brilliant. And, and it, I believe that if you pour yourself into the work that God has for you, those things will grow. But that is not the fruit primarily that Paul has in mind here. You'll have got this if you managed to stay with me when I was reading it. There's one thing that dominates Paul's mind. Actually, not just in this section, but in this whole letter. As we look through Philippians, as we think about joy over these next seven weeks, you're going to see this come back again and again. This is the fruit that Paul has in mind here. Paul wants to see the fruit that comes from the proclamation of the gospel, or or to put it a different way, the proclamation of Christ. For Paul, they're, they're, they're the same thing. Christ is the gospel, the gospel is Christ. Paul, this is what he wants to do. He wants to pour all his energy into making Christ known. He wants to pour all his energy into seeing the gospel advance. So that more and more people will come to hear the gospel to find the life which Jesus offers. Paul wants the gospel to be proclaimed for the benefit of these Philippian Christians. That's what he says at the end of it. Convinced of this, I know that will remain for for your benefit for your progress and joy. So he wants the the gospel to be proclaimed for the benefit of Christians. He wants the gospel to be proclaimed for the benefit of those who don't know Christ yet. As we start this series in Philippians, as we come to it over these next seven weeks, if you're going to understand the book, you have to understand where Paul's passion is, what Paul's heart is, what Paul really cares about. This is what he cares about, Christ being proclaimed. That's the heart of Philippians. Paul wants to see Christ proclaimed. He wants to see the gospel advance. And this is what he says. He says, for as long as I am going to draw breath, 
He doesn't know how long that's going to be. For as long as that is, that's where I'm going to put my energy. Every bit of energy I've got is going to go into that. That's what I'm going to pursue. That's what I'm going to labor for. Because he knows that that labor, that's fruitful labor. So, let's, let's wrap this up. What are you going to pursue with your life? What is it you're going to do? What are you going to do this year? I love those conversations. I've had a few of them recently where people are like, oh, I just want to achieve this this year. I just want to do this this year. I find them fascinating because they tell us so much about kind of where we think we find life and what we think is important. But, but what is it for you? What is it you're going to pursue? Are you going to, are you going to pursue an easy life? Are you just going to basically be, be like that stream that just follows the path of least resistance at any point? I don't know where I'm going. I'm just going to go wherever looks easiest. If you are going to do that, you will likely become isolated because connecting with people always requires more work than not. You will likely become selfish, dissatisfied, lethargic, lacking in focus. I say that not just convictionally because of what I read in Philippians and other places. I say that because that's what I see in my life. When I pursue that road, when I follow that path of least resistance, that's where I end up. Or, are you going to work hard for something this year? Are you going to labor for something this year? And then the question is, if you're going to labor, what are you going to labor for? What are you going to pour your energy into? Are you going to pour it into earning money? Is that the fruit you want to see from your labor? Are you going to pour it into climbing the career ladder? Is that what you want to see? Is that what you want to put your work into? Are you going to put your work into having the perfect body? Are you going to put your energy into getting to level 400 in some random computer game that no one will play in three years? Are you going to put your energy into making your house look impeccable? Where are you going to put your energy? You've only got so much of it. Where are you going to put it? What are you going to work hard for? If you're not going to go after the easy life, if you're going to work at something, you've got to decide what is it you're going to work at. What's the fruit you want to get for your work? Paul says, for him, his life is going to be working hard at one thing, and that thing is going to bring eternal fruit. He's going to work hard at proclaiming Christ. And why? Why is that what Paul's going to work hard at? Well, he's going to work hard at it because Christ has already turned his back on an easy life to work hard for us. See, that's the gospel that he wants to proclaim. This gospel he wants to proclaim is a gospel of Jesus who turned away from the comfort of heaven and instead gave it up to become just like one of us. It's a story of a person who could have taken an easy road and instead chose a road with sickness and broken relationships and injustice and pain and death. Jesus lived a life of fruitful labor. He worked hard to heal, to comfort, to teach, to encourage. And ultimately, he walked the hardest path imaginable as he pressed on into death and judgment for us. If Christ had chosen the easy road, there would be no gospel to proclaim. There'd be nothing for us to work hard at, to labor after. But Jesus chose something better. He chose a life of fruitful labor. He chose a life where he would die so that so that he could bear the most wonderful fruit, forgiveness, hope, and life for everyone who would come to him, everyone who would accept what he's done for them. That is a hard path. 
but the fruit is undeniable. The fruit has been, that's been bearing fruit for 2,000 years. I can't tell you how to live your life. And given how much of a mess I make of living my life, I probably shouldn't. I can't tell you where to put whatever energy you have left. But I can show you this is how Jesus lived. I can show you this is how Paul lived. And I can call on you to follow their example and push into a life of fruitful labour where we work hard to know Christ and to make him known. Confident that this work cannot help but bear meaningful, eternal fruit. That's the Christian life. As Paul sees it, that's what we're going to see as we look through Philippians. That's the life I think he calls us to. Let me pray for us.